Our Lord God, we hear from your word that the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. And we know that your word is the most powerful uh, thing in this entire world. And it is, in fact, the very uh, word of God that created uh, the universe and all that is contained within it, all that we see and all that we know and all that we uh, uh, experience came from your word that goes forth. And so we do pray, Lord, that this evening, even in this time, as we are gathered, and especially in this time, we pray that your word would go forth that it would accomplish all that you have set out for it to do, and that it would not return empty or void. We pray, Father, that you uh, would indeed, uh, as your word would go out, that it would be like a seed that is scattered, and that it would find much good soil in which to grow and bear forth much good fruit, even 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And so we ask, Lord, very simply, that you would bless the very means by which you have promised to build and grow and sanctify and nurture your church. And we pray that you would do that for us here and now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our New Testament scripture reading for this evening comes from 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> verse John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and as, or as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And if you would turn with me to our New Test- Old Testament scripture reading, which is Genesis chapter 4, as well as the sermon text, Genesis chapter 4, and we'll read the entirety of the chapter. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain, Cain, uh, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the fruit or firstborn of his livestock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, Irad fathered Mahujal, and Mahujal fathered Methushal, Methushal fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adam, or, uh, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. 
If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. In the life of the early church, uh, one of the greatest theologians of the time began writing a book that would later become known as an enduring classic, one that is still read uh, today. And in this book called The City of God, it centers on the development of two cities that Augustine has written about, the City of God and the City of Man. And as the book unfolds, Augustine's main point is so basic that its brilliance is often overlooked, the point that he is getting at, what he is driving at. But ultimately, Augustine is saying that in this world, ultimately there are two kinds of people. Those who belong to the celestial city of God, to the kingdom of God, and those who belong to the city of man or to the kingdom of Satan itself. In other words, every man, woman, and child, including us in this room, belong to one kingdom. They can only serve one master. They only have one father. Either the seed of God is within you or the seed of the devil, literally the spawn of Satan. There is a sharp contrast here. There is no middle ground in this particular understanding or expression of what the scriptures are teaching. Jesus himself has said in the Gospels, you are either for me or you are against me. Either you are a child of God or you are a child of the devil. There is no in-between. There is no neutral position to be had, no Switzerland to lay claim to. There are two cities and two kingdoms, and there is enmity between these two. And it all started way back in our text of Genesis 4 where we see the emergence of two seeds, two peoples who are on radically different trajectories. And the whole of Scripture, and Genesis especially, will detail this struggle between these two lines. And God's promise that one of these particular lines, namely the children of God... And so as we look at our text this evening, the first thing that we'll see is a household divided. A household divided. Right on uh, the heels of the fall of Adam and Eve and their banishment away from the presence of God and from the Garden of Eden, we immediately learn that Adam knows Eve and Eve conceives and has a child. 
In other words, though the world has been marred by sin and the world will forever be shaped by that sin of Adam and Eve, they have still been given a task to do. They were created and called to fill the world and subdue it. And as the text unfolds, it's clear that that is exactly what they are beginning to do. They are beginning to procreate. They are beginning to multiply upon the face of the earth. And each of their children will begin to do their part to subdue the earth to mankind as well. But as the text opens, Eve makes this very interesting pronouncement at the birth of her firstborn son. Scripture tells us she names her son Cain, which means gotten or acquired, or I have acquired a man with the help of the Lord. It's kind of an odd way to introduce a new section. Why why would Eve be saying this? What's on Eve's Mind as she is making this declaration about what is coming from her womb. You see, as she comes upon the heels of chapter 3 that lays out the curse, but also a promise. It tells us that Eve is thinking about the promise that God made to her and to her husband. And her husband, uh, uh, before God sent them, as they've been sent out from the garden, that through the woman, he would bring forth a seed that would crush the head of the serpent and end this pain and misery that she is experiencing in this life. Eve is thinking about the child that has been promised who would come, who will set them free from sin and death. And so Eve makes an announcement grounded in that particular hope. Here is one who has come to deliver us. Here is a son of Adam. I have birthed a child who will deliver us from the serpent and crush his head, for he is the firstborn son of Adam. Surely, if anyone could fulfill this promise, it will be him. And unfortunately, it's this very pronouncement that makes the story so much more tragic. Because Eve, in her naivety, doesn't yet realize how deep And far and wide the curse runs. The full extent of the curse has not yet been made known to her. Alice doesn't know how far down the rabbit hole goes. And so she makes this pronouncement that proves to be the foil of the text, really. And shortly after Eve's announcement, we are introduced to her second son, whose name is Abel. Not Much is said about Abel. He barely gets a footnote here, you'll notice, because surely the hope of the kingdom of God being restored will not come through this particular child. He's just sort of overlooked. You know, think of Samuel inspecting the sons of Jesse and how man looks on the appearances of things and what we ought to expect as we go forward. It's very similar here. In fact, it's very interesting, but Abel's name actually means breath or Vapor, something that seems to prophesy the short life Abel will have. Something that is here one minute and gone the next. Something that is easily overlooked and looked past. Yet our text tells us that these children of Adam and Eve, these brothers, they begin to subdue the earth. Just as Eve is slowly filling the earth one child at a time, her children will become workers of the ground and keepers of livestock. One toiling and to subdue the ground to his will, and the other subduing animals upon the face 
of the earth. They are fulfilling their cultural mandate given in the creation accounts. And things actually initially seem to be going well. But as time passes, or as verse 3 says, it came to pass, a shift takes place. Cain brings an offspring or an offering of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brings a firstborn of his livestock and from the fatty portion. Each one, you'll have to understand at this point, are acting as priests to God, bringing sacrifices to him, seeking to worship and honor and glorify him. And yet, before you even get any further, we see a contrast already beginning to be made between these two men, where God accepts one and rejects the other. The house of Adam begins to divide right here. God looks on Abel's sacrifice with pleasure and accepts it, but not upon Cain. The question is, why? Why accept the offering of one and not the other? Why accept Abel and not Cain? What is the difference that is arising between these two men, who are both children of Adam, both brothers of the same womb, both coming as priests to worship and to make sacrifices to God, and yet the text is making it clear that something is dividing them from one another. Even in verses 3 and 4, there is a slight shift in the wording of the Hebrew that hints that there is a difference between these two men, a difference between the sacrifices that they bring. The sacrifices they bring and the worshiper themselves are inseparable. Cain brings some of his fruit. The language is very pointed about this. In the Hebrew it says, but Abel brought the firstborn, the fatty portions. There's an emphasis being made about Abel and his acceptable sacrifice. Cain brought a sacrifice, but Abel brought a pleasing sacrifice. Hear the slight word difference here? Why even make that shift or adjustment? But again, the question is, what makes Abel acceptable and Cain not? What does the text emphasize as different between these two men and these two sacrifices? Abel brings forth the firstborn of the flock, the very first, the very best of it. And then he offers the fatty portion of the animal. He is offering the very best of the best, which is nothing greater than Abel could bring before God. Whereas Cain only brings some of his fruit. There's a clear demarcation that he made an attempt to bring the first or the best, Abel that is, whereas Cain is simply content to bring a portion out of the whole. In other words, the first major difference is that Cain's spirit isn't right. He's come seeking to be blessed by God for bringing leftovers. I wonder if you've ever done this without even realizing it. Showing up to church, expecting God to bless you because you showed up. But God knows a man's heart. He knows when an offering is acceptable and pleasing and when a man gives all that he has or gives the best of what is his. You see, Cain looks religious, 
But God, who looks on the heart, he knows Cain is prideful and has raised himself up, that he is demonstrating or not demonstrating in his sacrifice that he is dependent on God alone, something that a sacrifice should always demonstrate. God, I give this to you because I depend on you. Cain doesn't do this, and so God doesn't accept him. Whereas Abel comes in humble faith. And Hebrews 11 tells us that in his faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. But not only is there a difference between these men and their spirits, but there is also a difference between the sacrifices offered, the nature of the sacrifice itself. It's not just Cain's spirit or his heart that is the problem. It is the nature of what he offers as well. Notice Abel's sacrifice has a blood sacrifice built into it. Abel's sacrifice implies that uh, he recognizes that he is a sinner in need of atonement. That is what a blood sacrifice always highlights. Abel knows he is guilty. And that guilt needs to be removed to be acceptable to God. He knows he is a sinner conceived in sin as a child of Adam. And he is totally dependent on God for mercy in this life. And by faith, Abel rests in the promises of God and makes a pleasing sacrifice to God out of faith. And God sees his heart and uh, is humbled and repentant of his sin and dependent on him. But Cain sees no need to humble himself and repent. Notice, he gets angry at God for not accepting his sacrifice. He blames God for his rejection of Cain and his unacceptable offering. It's it's the very same thing, people of God, that Adam did back in the garden. It's not my fault. I didn't do what was right. It's the woman you gave me. It's not my fault I didn't bring a lamb. You gave me the ground to work, and I worked it, and I offer these, and you reject me. It's your fault, God. Cain's pride is raising up, and it's driving a wedge between himself and God. And God says, why are you angry, Cain? If you do what is right, if you humble yourself and bring a proper sacrifice that shows your dependence on me, I will accept you. But Cain hardens his heart further. He refuses to hear God's words, and his countenance matches his heart, and he says nothing. But by his actions, we know that sin has mastery over him. Cain responds to God's questions of declaration uh, and declaration of mercy by going into the field with his brother and killing Abel, this one pleasing to God, and acceptable in his sight. And by Cain's actions, he rejects the king of heaven, the kingdom of God, even God himself and his word and his promises. But Cain's unbelief and his sin quickly lead to the cursing of Cain. The cursing of Cain. In verse 9, we get almost a repeat of the judgment scene in the garden. 
God comes and he begins asking questions because he is a just God coming to deal fairly. But Cain's response is one of a hardened heart and his answer is just absurd. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain lies to a God that is all-knowing, who knows all things. He tries to hide his sin from God, pretending it does not exist. He takes no responsibility for his actions, you will see. At least with Adam, when God comes to judge him, there is a sense that, uh, of responsibility taken by Adam himself when he admits the actions that took place. But not so with Cain. Cain goes a step further. He is hardened against God so much that he refuses to turn from his sin, and so God judges him. Your brother's blood cries out against you. You won't answer me, but I hear the innocent voice of your brother whose blood you shed. And the ground which swallowed your brother's blood is now cursed to you. Cain has irreparably severed the relationship between brother to brother. No longer will he stand next to any in the kingdom of God and call them brothers, but he has separated himself from that line. He is a hater of brothers and brotherhood. And because of his action, God says, you will be separated from your brothers. You will be a wanderer upon the face of the earth. You hated your brother and estranged yourself from him. Therefore, I will send you out as a roaming wanderer estranged from the rest of God's house. Your brother's blood cried out to me from the ground. And therefore, the ground will no longer yield to you. It's a fitting punishment. And yet cry, Cain cries out when he hears it, it's too much. I can't bear this burden. Notice, he has pity for himself, though he showed none for his brother. He fears to die, though he showed no remorse for taking his brother's life. Again, there is no repentance here. He is hardened in his sin, and his only concern is for his self preservation. He is so blinded by his own needs that he fails to see they were the same exact needs as his brother before him. Otis, O people of God, and this is the main point we're supposed to see here. Notice how in this event, how all of the hope that is set up for us, beginning with Eve's birth announcement, has been crushed. This one, this firstborn son that we expect and that we hope for good things to come from, this one that we expect to be strongest and greatest and able to crush the head of the serpent in his father's stead instead of sub is subdued by that very serpent. That's who we want Cain to be. And yet, in reality, he becomes the seed of the serpent. He is not a child of God, belonging to God's city, but to the kingdom of darkness. And now, suddenly, all seems lost, right from the very beginning of the story. But God isn't done. He's only warming up. And we see this when we see the two seeds. And there are two cities. The two seeds and their two cities. 
As you come to verse 17, this discourse begins where Cain's line is traced out. Cain takes one of his sisters for a wife and he builds a city, naming it after his son. Notice, though, he has been cast, though he has been cast from the presence of God, he still is fulfilling the cultural mandate given to him. There are some good things, actually, that are coming from Cain's line here in the city of man. There is family life. There is music and metalworking. There's advancements and architecture for a city is being built. There are good things happening here, though this entire people is separated from God. These verses from 17 through 19, they talk about how Cain's line continues and the seed of the world who hates God and is at enmity with God. And this world prospers only because of the patience of God who is delaying his judgment upon the earth. But notice, seven generations are listed here. And in these verses... There is a completeness here. Every time we hear that number seven or see it in a generation, there's a completeness there. And what began as Cain separated from God has spiraled and continued and deepened. The sin is becoming more severe and more celebrated, even as it culminates in the song of Lamech, this one who perverts the marriage bed by taking on two wives and then basically brags for being even greater than Cain himself. Because for wounding me or for bruising me, more likely, I have killed a man. I have also killed a youth for hitting me or striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech will be avenged seventy times seven. Lamech is reveling in the debauchery of the city of man. He has no fear of God. Man has established a kingdom and a domain that seems separate from God. No judgment of God seems to be able to touch this place. The city prospers. And because God's judgment is delayed, man has no fear of God in this place. And you see the rabbit hole continuing to descend further and further away from where it all started, where man walked with God in perfect fellowship in the garden. And now God seems to be found nowhere while sin is just growing and deepening and increasing in severity 70 times 7. Something, something that you may feel the world doing around you even as we meet here tonight. And the question is, what is to be done? Where is God in all of this? What of his promise to deliver a people from their sin by a seed? Because as far as the eye can see, in the city of Cain, there's none who fear God or the consequences of their sin. There are none who love God and delight in his ways. There are none who live, who love God, and all seems lost. And yet, beloved, it is not. For verse 25 backs away from the city of man. And it tells us Adam knew his wife Eve again and she bore a son and she called his name Seth for God had appointed another seed 
God promised that he would deliver a people through a child of Adam's own loins. Even though Cain will have nothing to do with the promises of God, God's plans have not been thwarted. They have not been slowed down. Though the serpent's offspring seek to snuff out the line from which a victor over the devil is promised to come, God appointed an offspring, one who would come in the fullness of time, as Galatians 4 speaks of, a time many, many years from this particular history. One would come after many other grievous sins are committed against the brothers. But in that day when the God-man would come and walk the earth, he would come not to take his brothers' lives, not to hate his brothers and seek his own desires and agenda, but this one comes to lay down his life for his friends, for his brothers, for the children of God. He did exactly what Cain was supposed to do. He humbled himself, and instead of taking the life of his brother, he gave his own that his own children might live and live in fellowship together as God's children, brothers to one another. People of God, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who belong to the city of God and those who belong to the city of man. And the rest of Genesis and all the scriptures will focus on this struggle between the two seeds, yet one will rise up more victorious over the other. The Son of God will strike the death blow to the kingdom of darkness. He will crush Satan completely and fully. And scripture tells us that death blow has already been dealt. The battle is already decided, people of God. The victory is won through Christ. Though we wait for the time now for the city of God to be fully established and fully revealed. And for the kingdom of man to pass away. But people of God, while we wait for that day, scripture warns us, especially 1 John and Revelation... The kingdom of God, it won't stop being hated by the world. This is what you need to hear. The world hates the children of God. They despise the gathering of the brethren. They will seek to slay the brothers. First John tells us that if you want to know who belongs to God and who does not, who belongs to which line, it says the people of God very simply love Brethren, they love the people of God, but those who persecute the church, those who hate you, are of the kingdom of Satan. Why does all this matter? What, what, what am I getting at? Why even this text to you, people of God? You see, you may face various trials. I don't know what trials you face. I don't know what difficulties you're going through. I'm a borrowed preacher. You may find yourself being hated by the world, but no matter what kind of persecution you may face, no matter what kind of hatred you may be enduring for being part of the family of God, you have an advocate before the Father who makes you perfect and righteous as you stand before Him. 
And through his perfect life and death, you indeed are brought into the city of God whose foundation and builder is God. You are drawn into the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. But until that day, until that day when all things are no longer seen by faith, but are seen by sight, until that day, may we seek to love the brethren, to build up one another in love. May we love one another even as God himself loved us so much so that he gave his very best the only and acceptable pleasing offering that could make atonement for our sins. And he makes us acceptable to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Amen.